I am now at the part where, like, if we're going to do the return of Ra's al Ghul, mm-hmm. I'm there. So, okay, cool. Uh, like, I'm at the, the waiting grounds. Okay, cool. Yeah, wait on that. I'll bring you a paperback of that. Um, cool. Django tracked down all of his issues of it. So you've finished the Black Love part? Mm-hmm. Nice. I couldn't help myself. Oh, yeah, no, I'm... I'm with you. I'm with you. Welcome to Batman in Quarantine, episode number 10. I am here, as always, Jeff Figley, with my, at this point, I just want to say standard co-host, but I also don't want to lock you into that if, you know, I... No, I love it. Um, Justin Cassatt, the man, the myth, the legend, who, you know, keeps the comic store I- existing that we all work at. So, uh, thanks for joining me, buddy. Oh, absolutely. Glad to be here, my dude. Um, glad to be here in the two-seated cockpit of our bat plane our quarantine oh. bat plane oh yeah um so you know as everyone knows this is an issue by issue reread of grant morrison's epic batman run uh we're on issue 667 this one's scripted by grant morrison art by jh williams the third and then dave stewart on colors what is it that they say justin now we're cooking with now we're cooking with grease yeah. now, we're, now we're grease in the mill yeah now, now we're now we're cooking chumming the the ethereal blood realms of the center of this creative core Mm -hmm. i I don't know maybe Mm -hmm. we've gone too far off there but um gosh the run like this is now we're picking with rat fingers now we're picking Uh, with rat fingers if you don't listen to the perfectly acceptable podcast all of this will make sense if you do um so this is the first issue of the black glove arc this is gosh this issue came out august 8th in 2007 so um continuing that like six issues or six weeks between issue um wow. feel wow. that they were putting out so it sounds like we've all as we're all working through this we all kind of had the same problem which is like oh whoops i accidentally read all of these issues because i couldn't help myself right uh confession i've never read these issues oh my Not gosh all. yeah so this was a first time for me when i was a young man oh when uh, he was a young man I remember being in the Spokane comic book shop and these issues had just come out and I was like thinking about getting them and not thinking about getting them because the art looked weird. Yeah, um, yeah. And to my like very vanilla, vanilla steak tastes back then. And it had like all these weird old lame heroes I've never heard of, but like multiple people at the store, um, at the shop there like we're really into it like the the owner guy was like talking it up a bunch of people it was like the book that week um worth mentioning that justin and i both totally separate of one another without knowing each other at all grew up relatively in the same area i was two hours away from his town but i would drive that far to go to the comic shop so he and i both went to the same comic shop growing up um which is a a cool connection between the two of us it is really cool and that place is kind of, I imagine there are other people like that, you know, because yeah. that place felt like such a nexus, even though I have had an on and off, again, relationship with the management of that place. Um, but just kind of out of spite, 
it's the same guy that recommended recommended me Dark Knight Returns too early was the same guy that recommended me this. So I was just like, I'm not going to read them because they're lame and the art's weird and it looks nostalgic and he probably just likes it because it's got old guy stuff in it. Yeah. Um, so this is my first time reading it, knowing that it's pretty essential for the run, knowing that it seeds stuff way later into the run. Um, and I just like, because of Batman Incorporated, I've learned to love the really misfit Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, those are some of my favorite characters in the Batman U, and I'm sad that they're just kind of gone now. You know, um, touching on that, I do got to mention that, so this Club of Heroes, um, mm-hmm. not surprisingly, it was introduced in Detective Comics 215 in 1955, and they were originally known as the Batman, Batman of All Nations. Right, right, right. So it's 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 a really interesting, like, you know, for better or worse, Morrison was doing this thing where at the time, um, gosh, it was so confusing for me at the time. Like, so you were reading these issues kind of as it started out at the beginning of his run and, and picking some of them. Right. Um, and I, I didn't come on until, you know, RIP had just happened. So I like kind of, I collected a paperback of the, the first bit, but it wasn't really as the industry was, super um focused towards creating paperbacks in a logical way so you could collect runs so like there were some issues missing in here i think i had to buy some digitally which is why i never read the the clown at midnight because like i I was not going to read that text on a digital means what was weird for me is i like read batman and son and not this arc but the you know the dark clown at midnight 666 all those stuff but i read it so sporadically off the shelves and I knew that it was Grant Morrison, and I knew that there was some kind of, maybe not through line, but reoccurring casting characters. Like, it was just an episode of a TV show that didn't have too much connection. But it wasn't until the death of Bruce Wayne and that whole battle for the cow that I got, like, kind of around this time. I won't say that this was the issue that I stopped at, but I just fell out of comics. Mm-hmm. And then, like, you know, every time I went to Spokane, I'd go to the shop as, like, a obligatory thing and i pick up an issue so i think i got some issues of r.i.p when it was coming out and uh, you know battle of the cow caused me to go backwards and then to sign up again going forwards because they had that batman batman reborn which was like when yeah. they watched those like seven new titles or yeah. whatever they were um so like these are kind of this little nest egg of stuff that's pretty essential that i just never read um and yeah, I was really excited to read them. So I couldn't help myself. It was like getting, again, like those 52 issues, getting like Easter eggs. I didn't, well, I knew that these existed, but I never cared to read them. Um, and it speaks to just sort of, I think you and I particularly had a very disjointed way of engaging with this overall run. For sure. And we both love it. So I, I, I appreciate that, that like even in a disjointed way, um, it, it was something we could still really appreciate. And I like kind of now we've both worked at the shop forever um, to get to go through this in a, the way that it was originally written and supposed to is a, is a cool opportunity because yeah, I, my feeling about this issue and kind of this arc is that this is the beginning. It, it, this was a lot easier to follow. Like this doesn't mm-hmm. feel like we're globe trotting. It doesn't feel like we're reaching several areas of plot and mythos together to try and kind of pull them together for a cohesive narrative. Like this is just a very good Batman mystery story. Just so happens that the bad guy 
is sort of the overarching thing from what's happened prior and will will happen going forward. But this is the first where I really feel like it's dialed in. The art is incredible and it's crazy good. Easier to track. I I like what you said about like we're not jumping in in time so much. Mm And we're also not jumping in physical space. You know, we're not like one part in Europe, one part in like the, you know, in Gotham city and other parts all around the world. Like it works really well when Batman is physically stuck on an Island. Like, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's trapped here. I also, I guess the general framing design device of this is much like clue. Like yeah. you're stuck on an Island. You don't know who the suspect of this murder is. Something about that story that framing device i fucking love i love like a so compelling um and apparently agatha christie has a really famous novel called and then there was and then there were none which is maybe one of the actually i think it was originally in publication had a different name but it's kind of one of the progenitor stories of a slowly picking off the people like a dinner mystery party type of thing which is exactly Mm -hmm. what this is um yeah the broad strokes of this is that batman and robin go to an island where they meet this club of heroes that is a group of C-list superheroes that are all kind of themed after Batman that a super rich playboy put together because he was so bored of his life way back kind of in the Silver Age and um, it fell apart. And this is the first time they've all kind of gotten back together as a class reunion type thing. And the dude himself has been murdered and let the game begin. And the art does such a cool, like, nostalgic Silver Age thing, like the title screen, the Island of Mr. Mayhew, um, which is just mayhem. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like a title thing from, like, Super Friends or something. It looks like a Scooby-Doo title board or something. It totally does, Uh, yeah. J.H. Williams III, this was my first experience with his art. I remember like reading these issues in my dorm room and just being like, this is incredible. Like I've been reading these Batman things up until this point and they're cool. But this was just like, I finally was like, Ooh, maybe I could get some of my friends to read this. Cause it looks awesome. It is awesome. Like it reads awesome. And J.H. Williams, the third, like really does stylistically. I read something uh, with him this morning where he was talking about, Really, he had finished Promethea before this uh, with Owen Moore. And he was really trying to not be typecast as having a really distinct artistic style. So while there is definitely J.H. Williams III, like typical stuff, like this amazing double page spread title card that you just mentioned, there's also the scenes where it looks like Silver Age art. You know, like it looks like he's drawing 70s stuff. And I read that he sort of intentionally kind of tried to make each one of the, you know, Bat Club members kind of... So these characters were introduced in 1955. And what he and Grant had both kind of tried to do was look at those characters as if they had gone through the deconstruction and reconstruction of the 80s. So the way that Batman did. And so, yeah, what if all of these different characters that kind of you know, represent different aspects of Batman's personality. What if they had all gone through that, the Alan Moore, Frank Miller meat grinder and come out something on the other end. (laughs) They're all broken and jaded. Yeah. (laughs) And, and there's some really interesting comparisons that people have drawn, like Gaucho kind of is apparently representative of kind of um, a Chaken-esque and even like his mustache stuff is drawn like Chaken. Oh, okay. Um, uh, Knight and Squire kind of supposed to embody like the McGinnis you know ed mcginnis school of superhero of this era um, for sure they look they're like 
I think McGinnis has even drawn them. Yeah, I think there's a really celebrated Paul Cornell Knight and Squire miniseries that I haven't read. Okay, they they look stout. They look like a McGinnis character where they're just like kind of dwarvish. Yeah, Um, jaws. Yeah, squares. Yeah, but yeah, I thought, I mean, it's just, it's really interesting the amount of care and work that um, J.H. Williams, I guess, takes on all of his work, but that this is such a unique kind of style of art. I know. There's there's almost like three. You get your like J.H. Williams super hypo-realistic painty stuff. Uh-huh. Then you get the the super kind of toony 60 looking stuff. And then there's almost a weird hybrid in between that's like connective tissue. Um, in some scenes, Batman's walking through and it's not quite like photo stills, but it's not quite as bright and um, kind of cartoonish as of the other as the other styles and it, it blends really well like it, he it is an blends, amazing artist yeah incredibly like i remember you know originally reading this and just i kind of had to assume at the time because i didn't know that like this has to be several artists right because there's such distinct styles and he talks about how he really didn't want to write himself or well, draw himself essentially into a stylistic box so he, he tried to buck that trend here and yeah it's, it's absolutely incredible it just it's for me that's like a a mind-blowing thing i used to draw or write and just be so focused on trying to like intentionally create my own personal style and to think that like you can only be good at one thing and jh williams is so talented that he's got like three or four schools that he is so good at yeah Um, yeah i love um so you know page like two and three of this is this gorgeous double page spread that justin was just mentioning but on it it's got batman and robin flying to the island and it's like my favorite bat plane image of all like it's style of all time it's you know i I think maybe it first appeared in one of the tim burton movies because i have a image of it like flying up in front of the moon and looking like a bat signal at some point (laughs) i used to take a toy batman jet and whenever there was a full moon i'd run up and try to put it up in front of the moon like that because that's a famous scene in the first batman is it the first one okay i gotta watch those again yeah that bat plane is it's yeah it's absolutely choice i i really liked what this issue does which is gives batman and tim some time together right and batman's not just like reporting what he wants tim to do they're kind of having a conversation which i didn't expect i thought batman was like we're gonna go in here and do this thing but he's like asking tim how he is and that shows that there's a special bond there between the two and it seems like necessary follow-up with the damien stuff because i think there is a lot of subtle internal emotional stuff interpersonal stuff that um could definitely be more explored right damien threw you off a ledge after throwing a beheaded grenade like decapitated head with a grenade in it and you like broke your back and i said well well, you know he's learning he's young (laughs) (laughs) um i so i haven't read the really famous knight and squire miniseries no i want to now yeah but i they're very likable knight and squire like uh and i I, they come up later right in batman and robin when dick goes to europe i think they maybe pop Mm -hmm. back up they do okay yeah i i like i like that character and i like that I like that, you know, they're sort of bringing Batman and Robin to ultimately this room where we're going to meet all these other C-listers. But I really like the sort of two pages of interplay between these C-listers that happens while Batman's not yet in the room. Right. And I like how we, like, 
they are all vaguely inspired by Batman. Some still kind of venerate him as a hero or as an icon or as someone unattainably at a skill level. And other people are bitter and trying to like say that he's not that great. Um, yeah. And I, I like that a lot. Like some people, you know, you're, if you have idols, you also secretly kind of hate him. Right. That's a, that's um, a good point. Uh, the, this wingmaster or whatever his name is, the, the one who looks you know, like basically like Batman. I guess they all have aspects of Batman, but like the visor. Um, he looks like a Batman state of Frank Miller character. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wingman is his name. And I love that he and Bruce like trained or worked together and he's just constantly like, well, I came up with that gimmick a whole year, like, you know, probably about a year before Batman. <laughs> and it's just like, let it go, dude. Like, okay, whether you did it before or after, you're not doing it as well. Right, that's like... You know, there's that level of admiration to the point where, like, you get what you admire and you confused. Like, you want, to, you idolize something so much that you start to, like, replace your idol with yourself. Like, no, he, he's the one. He's inspired by me. Right. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> he's kind of pathetic. It's interesting. Grant Morrison talks seemingly with the most respect for uh, Gaucho. Yeah, and, he likes Gaucho. Yeah, and he refers to him as, like, the, the one hero who, like, went off, I, I think it's Brazil. I forget what country he's from or Ecuador. Um, and he becomes just a full-on, absolutely respected superhero. And he's kind of the one who comes back to this, having, you know, achieved not the same heights as Batman, but similar heights. And he does come back up in Batman Incorporated and stuff. But it, yeah. I like that there's one of these characters that Morrison, like, kind of allowed to succeed and not just live in this shadow. Yeah, when when he does show up in Batman, he, he is, like, he's a homie. He likes Batman and yeah. helps Batman out, and Batman, in return, helps him out, too. I like that. I really like the father and son Native American characters, the yeah. son in particular. Uh, those characters grow throughout Batman, Inc. and stuff. It's one of my favorite issues of that run. Yeah. features them, so it was great to see them again. Yeah, that issue is fantastic. I can't remember, but that's like also one of the early Burnham issues or something. Like that's it a, is. That's, a, that's a fantastic issue. That's um, where they're just on the reservation. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's a great issue. And you know, he even th throws in. Yeah, I question. I can't remember if he brings it back up or whatnot. But like, you know, maybe maybe not the most sensitive character type of the, like the Native American who his son is like, "Hey, stop drinking, Dad. You know what happens when you drink." Um, but yeah, you know. that probably didn't age so well. Exactly. You know, I was yeah. Like, mm. But um, it's 2007. Not that that's an excuse. No, um, it's not. And I, yeah, I, I I think that Grant Morrison approaches things with more respect than most people. So I don't really ever hold that stuff against him. Um, but it is right. interesting to watch things age, you know, better and not as well. Right. Um. Yeah, I just, for some reason, these issues really got me. I really liked them. They're like a fucked up Scooby-Doo issue. And I think there's some like, <laughs> significant overlap between Batman and Scooby. Well, they're even on each other's cartoons in the day. But like, you know, they're detectives. There's these colorful cast of characters. The Harlem um, Globetrotters walk by at one point. No, <laughs> <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, but yeah, this this whole thing leans into kind of the campy nostalgia, but also is grounded in a really like dark fucked up thing it was a it was a, a really fun uh, kind of space to be in 
Yeah, like I love Batman in this gorgeous full page shot. Just gentlemen, shall we find out why we're here? You know, when he walks in the room and we see everyone's response to him and almost immediately they sit down and then it's just like pedal to the metal, like double page spread of like a deeply stylistic art change, watercolor, hyper realistic. A dude is wearing the, you know, severed face of the rich man who brought all the club of heroes together. And he's explaining that he's been murdered and now they have to figure out uh, who, who did the murder and, you know, challenges them to stay alive for the next 24 hours or whatever. And he says that I spoilers, you're not going to. Yeah. In the, the background is like a Renaissance or early modern, like painting of the Christian apocalypse or the day of judgment. And it's, okay. I may may even be a, a plague painting, um, but it is just like fucked up back yeah. there. So you really get this sense of doom, um, and there, this introduction of the black glove as this crime syndicate we don't really know much about. We know that they're fucked up and they're not they're not playing around. And it's interesting this character that has been murdered, John Mayhew who brought the whole organization together was in a motion picture called the black glove. And we see a poster of that um, here at some point. And, yeah. 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 Uh, and that's interesting. Right after this deeply messed up double page spread, we then get another double page spread that is again, exemplifying J.H. Williams, the third's really versatile art. And it's just a silhouette of a black glove, but within it, it's got all of the ships that they, uh, came to the island on being exploded and it's like such a cool shot it's so like art deco-esque like it's so yeah, yeah vintage feeling yeah the even with the blue trees and the water and the super chunky fingers reminds me of like a 60s james bond intro sequence or something yeah yeah that's a, a totally totally good comparison so yeah, they, they've blown up all of their means to escape and Batman clarifies, don't eat any more food because Roman guy is, well, he's, he's eating a lot of food and maybe it's going to be poisoned. Yeah, Gosh. like any good Roman empire, he's a total savage and a pig. Yeah. Uh, he's fucking gross. <laughs> i but, love the the double page spread so we get him they're all exploring the house at this point to find the room where this video that they've seen takes place and the i forget his name the centurion um goes he finds it while he's still eating and he just gets um to quote my friend justin fubbed up yeah he gets fubbed up uh right and proper fubbed by a mysterious uh guy I think it's pretty cool that they he stabs him in the back as many times as Julius Caesar was. Yeah. This, uh, you know, like any good psychopath, the really good ones have an artistic flair to him. <laughs> um, so, you know, he's doing his poetic, artsy-fartsy, meta-psychotic thing. And uh, our good friend, the centurion, you know, dies. Yeah. So what's interesting here on this double page spread is we almost get shots of the face of the murderer. Right. So now from the vantage point of not knowing, do we feel like, cause you know, I remember reading this and being like, is that the black glove? Like, is he there on the Island with them? And having not finished this arc yet, I, I feel like that's not actually the case. Yeah. Grant Morrison does this really cool thing of like, what even am the black glove? Is it an yeah. organization? Is it, a single person. A single person. It 
you know, he weaves it in and out of kind of like the chronological kind of the history of Batman, I guess, and also the kind of meta fake history, like a pseudo history. So at one point, it is just a thing from a movie. At another point, it is this organization that's trying to kill him. At another point, there's kind of this like Batman sins of the past coming to get him. It's him, you know, and as this arc unfolds, we really see that the Black Gov is playing on multiple levels of Batman's mind. You know, they're attacked, they're making him question his um, sanity. And so we see the first hint of it as this just like one off from a movie that's associated to the guy that Mayu, who, who brings him here. But at the other time, there's more significance to Batman of this Black Glove, and that will slowly play out. So it's like, who, who even is the Black Glove? You know, we, we never, at this point, we don't know. So is this just a henchman or is this the guy, you know? Yeah. Looking at the shot of the face, you can almost, it almost resembles who we come to perceive as the guy. But at the same time, that guy is so, you know, it seems so weird for the leader of a crime syndicate to do it personally. So, right. Uh, Grant Morrison does this very good job of like, Batman doesn't know. And also as a reader, we don't know. We're like, this, we're in. Yeah. And, and I remember like, you know, trying to, you know, getting through these issues leading up to the RIP and the death of and knowing the black glove is, is the big bad. And I remember reading it being like, well, okay. Like Mayhew is the black glove. His movie says like, there, there is weird amounts of like, just like you're saying, like he gives you an idea of maybe what it is and then pulls the rug out from under you. And it is this like amorphous ever shifting threat. And I guess that's what makes it such a compelling, like the way that somebody could be attacking Batman. Like they kind of would have to be amorphous like that. If he's the world's best detective. Right. Like it exists within a fictional space and Batman's real life. It, It kind of breaks the boundaries of real and not real. You know, when reading this, like, who we come, as, as we get further, and I won't say who it is, but who we come to be kind of told is the main bad guy of this story. The person that, you know, we can say has a physical body attacking Batman. His history and who he says he is, is pretty spurious. And we are, we're never really, we don't know if who he is, you know, he says he's somebody very important to Bruce, but we based off of what we know about Batman's life, it can't be, and right. yet he is. So this made me wonder, like, is that guy John Mayhew the whole time, or is John Mayhew that guy, just a yeah. creative persona by that guy to get closer to Batman and has been with him his whole life? Yeah. You know, like, the fact that who the Black Glove, you know, the Black Glove is like a, a shroud of who this person actually is, but the further you try to figure out this person you never figure out who he is. You're constantly pulling, you know, another layer of him out, you know, shedding the skin of this ever kind of devil demon snake, this ever evolving demon snake. And, and it almost, gosh, Justin, even you saying that really conjured the image. You saying that made me think of like a snake shedding its skin, but yeah. then that plays right into the overall almost mission statement or theorem that grant morrison brought into this which is batman is ever changing and the joker particularly is ever changing almost to that same direct comparison of a snake shedding its skin like crawling out of its own carcass 
Batman does that. The Joker does that. Use that metaphor for Batman. Yeah. Yeah, and then the Black Glove does that same thing. So, like, I, I guess I love that we keep writing home that Grant Morrison wanted to um, make his whole life fit as one single cohesive thing, but uh, this whole mission statement of exploring you can take a character that needs to be frozen in amber and have these continuous things, but you can also allow that to grow. And I think that this idea of shedding skin is, is really uh, the best way to take these comic characters and let them have lives that exist for a long time. For sure. And you know, there, there is kind of a parallel or it's kind of said that the end all be all, and bad guy of this is essentially the devil. The yeah, devil. his original his his pitch for talking about this was it's Batman versus the devil, um, right? And I love that that even never makes sense. You would you can't really ever and yet say it totally oh, does in oh, a yeah. weird way. Like the devil is infinite. It's it's you know there is never one in it is legion, and this villain is it is legion. Like it yes, it's John Mayhew. It's also this idea of this crime syndicate, the black glove that doesn't officially exist, but now is very physically tangibly attacking Batman. And it's also this, this character that hasn't been introduced. And even that character, who he says he is, can't make sense. Right. And, and like you're saying, the devil is Legion. It is, it is, it is enormous. And in reality, well, quote unquote reality, but in this book, like, the way that you interact with the devil isn't by interacting with the devil like one-on-one. It's like interacting with people who've had a, a relationship with the devil and have, you know, either manifest as it or even influenced by it. But it's even still, it's not like Batman versus the devil. It's, it's almost the effect of the devil. Right. You never, you never meet the devil. The devil is technically like not a real thing. It's an archetype or a concept and you can never get to what it actually is but you know it through the acts of people who have succumbed to the devil. Right. And so it can have, it can have unlimited bodies. And that's, what's like crazy is Batman's trying to contain this thing. That's essentially older and more real than a single person's life. You know, a single Batman's life, which is, it's a crazy concept for a villain. And even just like the idea of a black glove, like what is a glove, but it's the thing that holds the hand. It is not the substance itself, but it's the trapping with which volume is held within. So even that is kind of like speaking to the idea of visage or appearance. Right. You know, the devil, you're not fighting the devil itself. It's almost the, that which wraps the hand with which you're fighting. Like it's right. You're fighting evilness in that the evil in everyone's heart. And in that way, the glove is, is a shroud you can pull off and you'll constantly get another glove. Right. You know, there's no hand there. Um, God, I love it, Justin. And then just, I love to, it too, buddy. just to speak to the final page of this, you know, where this issue ends basically with the fallout of the introduction of this murder mystery, the fact that they can't escape, and one of them dying. And this final page is like this watercolor Arkham Asylum, Dave McKean-esque, like art deco, amazing piece of art. Like this page would just be, can you imagine? Like someone somewhere has that page of art. (laughs) It's so cool. And and it's so Batman. It's so Batman. You know, there's just a, a white background with a glove and then Batman is inside the glove. But it says, advantage, evil place your bets with the black glove. And even that is just reminds me of like seventies Batman comics. Oh, for sure. It, it feels like a bond villain, like advantage evil. Um, and then, there, yeah, on the either sides of it, there's Batman and Robin walking through this like burning wreckage of the planes. And then 
there's a zoom out of the island with the fire in it, like the red moon, and it looks like Arkham Asylum kind of. It's just like such a sweet distillation of like the dark kind of gothic shit you see in Batman. It's like a perfect, it's Batman comics in three little panels. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an incredible, I really like it to me. This issue is when the whole thing kicks up a kicks up a notch. Like it goes sure. from being a thing that you're like reading and enjoying and kind of solving to being a thing that you can't put down. Right. And, you know, in a weird way, we now we at least have the name of whatever this thing that will continue to torture Batman is. And that's it was the first hook, you know, like now yeah. we know like, okay, there's somebody here that's doing this. Um and whatever the hell that is, we you know. At this point, I, I kind of realized I don't even know what is the the villain of this arc, and I'm you know I've read pieces of it many many times, um, so it, it's kind of giving me new eyes again. It's really it, it's weird. I you and I are so familiar with this book, mm-hmm. but I'm here reading it like I'm reading it the first time again. It's almost like like Final Crisis is a book that you and I have both read endlessly, and for yeah. some reason. I always feel like I'm reading the the final chapter of it for the first time. Like I can never remember exactly how it wraps up. And I think that that works in its favor because it doesn't ever feel, it always feels like you're getting a new story out of it to some regard. Um, but yeah, that's just, uh, I think for some reason Morrison has that ability to like just slip us a, a post hypnotic suggestion. Like you forget what happens and enjoy reading it again. Right there. You know, final crisis has a, a similar thing for me where like no matter how much you think you know the book when you read it again you contradict what you thought like oh this book is this yeah and then you're like oh well this book's not this now that i read it again well what is this like there's again pulling the gloves off or whatever there's like this constant morrison is like really talented at that and i've never seen a i I just don't think that those things are typically you can orchestrate that Mm -hmm. like the ability to have a single thing have like a polyvalent meaning like endless meanings but morrison can somehow intentionally orchestrate that and it's almost well sorry please finish your thought oh people can criticize grant morrison on whatever level you want you know sometimes he's a little immature other times you know his panels transitions are bad but like i've never seen any single writer no matter how talented or intellectually capable they are be able to do that where just like there's an endless amount of meaning in like nine different angles you could read a story morrison is like so good at that and i guess now i just realized like i don't know anyone else who does it that well where you can read a story and it means something different every time you do i wonder like in in reading his sort of some of his thoughts about the end of this run like he he enjoyed that there wasn't he intentionally made there not one specific answer so that it would spark all of these conversations. And I, I wonder if like maybe an ability to do that from a creative standpoint is being comfortable as the writer yourself, not having one answer. Like if, if the, the writer kind of knows the secret, like who did it, you know, I think it's easier for people to largely agree on certain things, but I, I really think that he's comfortable writing things from the space of, well, it could be one of these three things. And, right. and he can make the story make sense to all of those. But even he doesn't seem to have a really strict loyalty to um, there being one true sort of narrative thrust of it. And and I, I really like that because I think it allows these things that you're talking about. I think he is really, really talented and also just sort of willing to be like, eh, you know, like maybe... 
you know, like whatever. He got abducted by aliens and like, right. you know, he he's he's operating from the fifth dimension. He's okay with allowing everyone to have different viewpoints for how reality works. So Right. I just like you know, there's when you start reading lots of advice by writers, you hear this thing like some sometimes someone writes like a gardener where you plant a seed and you each time you return to your writing, you see where it grows and it goes from there. And another person is an architect where you have the entire vision in mind and you're slowly building it, but you always know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I think Jonathan Hickman is like an architect on a really high level. Like he is, you know, he, he does have his ending in mind. He has everything and everything falls perfectly into place where Grant Morrison is like the opposite. He's like this gardener on this level where he like, he may not know the ending of his story when he writes it. And I tried to inhabit that space, but the ego really, and lots, lots of reasons why people create art is the ego. You want Mm -hmm. control. You want to create a world that you can control and manage and understand where this world is full of contradictions and you'll never really know to get into that subconscious space where you let the story write you is something that like I kind of thought myself, my ego thought itself as being good at doing. And then I realized like, it's not good at that at all. Like that is the hardest kind of writing to do is to just like have no intentions mm-hmm. to surrender to the story itself. And Grant Morrison, like I swear, like he, he is really good at just letting the unconscious write him, you know? Yeah. I think the comparison between Hickman and Morrison that you brought up is really apt because I totally agree with it. Like I think Hickman really architecturally, you know, plots it and masterfully executes it. But I think that you're, you're exactly right. I think that Morrison almost can just sort of have like theoretical rules. Like Batman is always this and he always does this. Now let's just see what happens. Like given my, the framework that I want to have is like the sort of main moral thrust. Let's let this story find itself. Um, and it, I think it requires a lot of faith in readers. I think it requires a fair amount of faith in yourself. It fall, And it probably requires an amount of like working through, like being willing to work through the parts where it maybe feels like you're like, I don't know why I'm doing this, but like ultimately, you know, eight issues later, you'll be like, Oh, that's why I did this. Right. It's so Zen. It's like, you don't do anything. You let the story do it yourself. And I guess I just gave myself a galaxy brain moment at like, as someone who's been there writing and how hard it is to surrender that, you know, that sense of self when you're writing, surrender that control. Like I think Grant Morrison's like, we joke around like he's some visionary uh-huh. writing prophet guy. Cause you know, a, we love him and B we know not everyone else does. So we kind of have to make a joke of ourselves. We get that, to foster that kind of humorous idea that he almost kind of playfully plays into. For sure. But I just realized like the, it is, an incredible amount of humility and just raw talent to get to the unconscious to like, just let yourself go because I don't think you could, I don't think you could intentionally arc like create a story that has so many different layers of meanings. Like Hickman's stuff is very complex and he's got a huge tool set, but at the end of the day, you end up knowing what you got, Mm -hmm. you know, Morrison's you never really know. And I honestly think, well, not that there's a better or a worse one because they both do great things, but like, I think it's really, really hard, at least from my particular standpoint. I see like more merit in the gardening kind of style like that to me is insane. And I've realized when you said the final crisis thing, think about how we talk about Flex Metallo. We never really know what that's, <laughs> yeah, that's true. What I've that's never story. gotten even kind of the same thing out of that book. Right. There's a couple times where I really think it's like a Flatlander like it's an autobiography 
see from a fifth dimensional standpoint. Yeah, that's what I like. Yeah, that's what I like. That's my tagline for Flex Metallo. And I think in a really broad way, it's kind of that. Like it's Grant Dude, that's such a brilliant comparison. You're absolutely right. I think that that is the like a, such an, a beautiful way to dial flex mentality like just as someone who wants to sell that book to everybody at the comic shop but no one really wants to take the the but like flatland is a piece of art that like is you know demonstrated as being a great way to sort of express the concepts of dimensionality to people who don't think about it flex mentality is that it is that that's i've never realized before that's a really you just gave me a galaxy brain <laughs> well thank you i yeah in that book like you can say it's that and then you read it every time and there's a different experience and it makes it more that but somehow less that at the same time because you're like well there's all this kind of superhero stuff and it it is so much about genre and just fiction in and of itself and uh yeah i just i guess I, this is reaffirmed my like deep deep powerful love for grant morrison and i needed to because like i love the man it's but it's been a little while since he was putting something out that like hit the sort of celestial high notes that he has for me at different times in my life and you know we we talk at the store about like well yeah grant morrison's probably my favorite writer or you know a variety of other ones and it kind of just holds that place in my heart and brain but it's been a minute since I was waist deep in a story that really reminded me how absolutely true that is. For sure. I would say that like at the end of the day, Grant Morrison will always be, he's created the comics that have meant the most to me and I love the most. Mm -hmm. So he's probably always will be my favorite writer, but there's been very, it's been a very long time since I've lived that and Mm -hmm. said that, you know, I can return to something like Hickman's work or Alan Moore's work or anyone else's work as an example of like, this is why I like comics. But like, (laughs) Grant Morrison, it's been a very long time. And, you know, he's older. He's doing lots of other projects and doing all kinds of crazy things. So, like, he doesn't necessarily need to be out there proving people that he's still good at right. comics, you know. But it, it has been a long time since I've occupied a space where I was reading a Grant Morrison comic and being like, oh, this is why Grant Morrison's my favorite writer. Right. So it's, it's good to be here again. So as we get on out of here, uh, I would say suggested reading to all of our listeners who haven't read it or if it's been a minute since they've read it, Flex Mentallo. Um, amazing check it out and then that makes me really excited because justin at some point here we're gonna have frank quietly art i know i know i just can't wait because i'm so stupidly foolishly fanboy about him so i i just can't wait to get there um and And to get it on a big book like that just feels like such a a thing that could never happen these days yeah yeah it couldn't he's not he doesn't have the time he's not quick enough to write it the way that the comic books publishers feel like they need to come out but yeah this 667 absolutely incredible issue this is i I can't wait to finish this arc i can't wait to talking to everybody about it soon um thank you so much for joining me justin yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, the shit holds up, and I'm so glad it does. It's so yeah, good. Me and too, man. If it anyone listens to this at all, yeah, for sure. I'm glad that if anyone listens to this at all, that they can go on this journey and be like, what the hell are you guys talking about? Yeah. Like, it's so cool. Just two big enthusiasts sort of feeding off their enthusiasm. All right, well, for Batman in Quarantine, signing off, I'm Jeff. I'm Justin. And we'll see everybody probably tomorrow. See you tomorrow, guys. Bye.